the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. The following program has been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. We begin in Revelation, the third chapter, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, just to be certain that we know what we're talking about here, we're speaking now to the person who is the Amen. The Amen is the end. The the amen is the one who closes things down or opens stuff up. He is a faithful and true witness. He is the ruler of God's creation. So we're speaking here about Jesus. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Well, I, I have to quickly stop there and share with you how I've interpreted this through the years. And this week, as I came before the Lord, I said, Lord, I've preached this many times. I need a new revelation of this. Will you open my eyes so I can understand the word that you want me to speak? I want you to hear. As I have personally interpreted this passage in Revelation, the third chapter, I have read it this way. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I immediately applied that phrase of Scripture to the caboose. I applied that phrase to the caboose where the feelings reside. And I said, you're right, Jesus, I don't have feelings of being on fire for you. But I don't have feelings of anger against you. I don't have feelings of distance from you. So that must mean I'm lukewarm. And I interpreted this whole passage then in the context of my feelings rather than of the engine of the train or the beliefs We have to come back now and recognize that when Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, he is not talking about how you feel. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, look at the passage of Scripture with me again. And this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. Verse 15, this is Revelation, the third chapter, verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. 
It doesn't say, I know your feelings, that you are neither cold nor hot. He is not speaking about feelings. He's speaking about deeds. He's speaking about the engine. And he's saying that by your deeds, I know whether you are cold or hot. By what you do, I know who you are. Not by what you feel. And so as I'm before the Lord and I'm worshiping him and I'm saying, Lord, I love you. I love you. Is he hearing my feelings? Yes. My feelings are important to the Lord. But he watched me all week. He knows whether I love him or not with a fervency and with a fire and with an intensity by what I've done all week. It's nice to say I love you, but I tell you the truth. If I had to choose between my wife saying I love you and doing all the actions that say I love you, thank you, I'll take the actions. Don't tell me that you love me and then you cast me aside. Don't tell me, I love you, Ray, and treat me like dirt. It doesn't go together. So I'd rather not hear the I love you. I'd rather receive the actions of I love you. And then the words I love you are even sweeter. (laughs) So when we look at this passage of Scripture... It becomes very clear then that what the Lord God of heaven is addressing is not how we feel hot or how we feel cold or how we feel in any way. He's looking at what it is we're doing. Now, if that's true, as we follow through this passage of Scripture, then we have to also expect that the remedies that he's going to recommend for our condition also are in the realm of what we do and not what we feel. You see, I have never once, I've never ever once sat at a railroad crossing and watched the train go by, counting each of the cars, and then as the caboose comes, it jumps the track and rolls along the highway like a car. Have you ever seen that happen? No. You'd say, Ray, that's foolish. You wouldn't expect that. Well, neither would I expect your feelings to jump the track and go rolling off in the direction that you feel like you want to go. I would expect instead that your feelings would accompany your beliefs so that we could look at you in terms of what you do and it would match what you say. Is that clear? Then let's go a step further. Jesus is saying... I know your deeds. I have observed you. And based on that observation of what you do, I can tell that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you, or that word literally can be interpreted, vomit you out of my mouth. 
Now, you recognize that at Laodicea, this was a very prosperous city. And running just outside of Laodicea are mineral springs. And those mineral springs, as they run down by Laodicea, have cooled off sufficiently that they are lukewarm and filled with horrible tasting minerals. And if you were to dip into that water today, even today, and take a sip of that water, you'd spit it right out. It tastes horrible. So Jesus is saying, even as that lukewarm water is running by your city, that's how you taste to me. And I'm about to spit you out. It's, a, it's enough to make me sick, enough to vomit. Boy, that's a stunning indictment. How's that possible? These are his people he's speaking to. He's not speaking to the pagans. He's speaking to his church. And I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't understand this. How is it possible for your people to be in such a condition? How is it possible for me to be in such a condition that I would make you physically sick? I don't want to be in a relationship like that with my Lord. When he comes to my life, I want him to take a deep drink and to say, my thirst is quenched. As I've looked at this and as I've prayed about this, let me try to be clear. What I hear him saying is that there are actions that we are taking that cause our lives to be unpalatable to God. Now, you recognize that feelings have to follow beliefs. Actions are based on our beliefs. Our feelings come behind. They have to line up. They're forced to line up. So in other words, there are ways these people at Laodicea are operating in their practical, everyday world that causes them to be lukewarm. In every area of your life with Jesus, there will be no passion unless it has cost you. If serving Jesus Christ is not costing you anything, then you will have no vital concern about serving Jesus Christ. If you are simply receiving benefits by being a follower of Jesus, that will guarantee no intense fire in your belly about the kingdom of God. It will instead cause you to simply be lukewarm. I mean, which of you has gone to a a Sears auto store and had new brakes put on your car and you walked out and everybody you told, you told them about your wonderful new brakes. Well, no, we don't do that. We paid the minimal fee necessary to have our brakes replaced. That's not a story we're going to tell anybody. The only time you're going to begin to tell somebody about the Sears Auto Center is when the Sears Auto Center has cost you something. 
Then you'll tell everybody. You'll either say, never go there, or go. But you will not be lukewarm. Your money is involved. Serious money. Time. Inconvenience. Whatever. So, with Jesus, if following Jesus Christ does not touch your time, your pocketbook, your friendships, your comfort. If it doesn't touch those things, you will be lukewarm. Jesus is saying, look, I want you either to want nothing to do with this Christian faith. I want you to blow it off and go the way of the world, or else I want you to be on fire. That means totally sold out. Everything you have is invested in this kingdom of Jesus Christ. Where are you today with this? Are you lukewarm? Or are you on fire? The answer to that will be found in what you have chosen either to do or not to do. And so what has the kingdom of God cost you? And so I want to ask you now to just hold in your mind the question... What action steps is Jesus Christ asking you to take that will result in setting your heart aflame? Those things that you have been refusing to do for his kingdom are what prevent you from having fire in your belly for Jesus Christ. And I urge you to do the same thing that I've been doing, going into my prayer room, laying on my face before the Lord and saying, Lord, would you speak to me and tell me what I've been doing that displeases you? And would you speak to me and tell me what you want me to do? And very quickly, he'll speak plainly to you. Now, don't do this unless you're prepared to act on what he's telling you. And so as he speaks to you and says, cut that relationship off. Are you going to cut it off? As he speaks to you and says, stop the drama. And these are the steps you need to take to stop the drama. Will you take that action? When he says, take your checkbook out and write this amount. And give it in the place I tell you. Will you do that? I mean, some of you know how, all of you aren't like this, but but some of you know what I'm saying when, when I tell you I've always wanted to be able to carry a big wad of cash in my pocket and go buy anything I wanted to buy whenever I wanted to buy it. So I can just deal with anything that I have to deal with Do you know what? The Lord Jesus has never let me do that. Because he said, I will handle every situation. So he's saying, you don't handle it. I handle it. And the money doesn't belong in your pocket. The money belongs in my pocket. 
and I'll tell you how to spend it, and I'll tell you where to go, and I'll tell you what to do. Now, some of you don't want it in your pocket. Some of you just want it in your checking account so that you can kind of look at it and massage it and maneuver it. Some of you want to play with the numbers, your bean counters. And you want to see how everything's going to work. And you you want to project the next year. Because you feel secure when you know. Now, when Jesus comes to us and he begins to speak to us about these things, he's going to ask us to lay them down. He's going to ask, will you allow me to take authority in your life? And as you give him that authority and as you step into obedience to Jesus, a flame will be lit in your heart. Now, a common complaint that I used to have that I no longer have I would stand up to preach and I would have a sense of falseness in my heart. Or I would be doing the work of the ministry and in the background I'd hear a voice saying, you're a phony. You're not for real. That doesn't happen to me anymore. I want to tell you why. I've learned the sure cure for being cold of heart and being a phony. Go into the presence of Jesus and consume his word. Read his word. And as he speaks to you, you do what he tells you to do. That feeling of coldness and that feeling of being a phony is not false. It's real. I feel like a phony or I feel false, or I feel cold when I am not doing what Jesus has told me to do. And so he asks me to do something, and I give him excuses, or I pretend I didn't hear it. My mother is rather hard of hearing. She wears two hearing aids. But I've discovered a most interesting thing. She seems to hear what she wants to hear and not hear what she doesn't want to hear. Isn't that interesting? I think all of us are rather hard of hearing. Hearing what we want to hear and ducking those things we don't want to hear. Those things we don't want to hear are the very things that will in Jesus set us free and put a heart of fire a flame of burning in our bellies. So today, if you feel lukewarm, know that you are in danger of being spit out of the mouth of Jesus and cast aside from his presence. And there is only one answer for that, to have that flame relit by the Holy Ghost. That flame is not relit in a mystical manner, It's relit as I walk in obedience to his call to my heart. As I do what he tells me to do. If I come to this sanctuary today and I have not spent significant time reading his word, there will be a callous over my heart. 
if I come to this place and I have not entered into the prayer room and I have not been before the Lord God of heaven in the throne room, there will be a coldness that will be over my heart. Feelings are very difficult to deal with. What's harder for me to deal with is knowing what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to do it, and then acting on it. And so it's easy for me to let my feelings govern what I'm going to do. So when my feelings get kicked up, I can quickly then move into my action. But my action is not Jesus' action. And the feelings are just going to have to burn themselves out. They're not going to run the train. Now, this is especially helpful for me because all of my life I've been a pleaser and I've tried to keep people happy. I mean, my one agenda growing up as a kid was to keep everybody happy at home. Well, praise God, I've made the astonishing discovery that I can't keep people happy. Yea, that it's not even my responsibility to keep them happy. What I've discovered is that it's now my responsibility to cause people to be quite upset. Well, do you understand the trauma that is to my feelings? What matters now in my heart is Jesus. What are you calling me to do? And how can I be faithful? And how can I step out of my little drama world and step into your amazing kingdom and walk in the healing power of your blood shed for me? Now notice what Jesus says. Verse 17. You say... I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. You notice Jesus looks at the church at Laodicea, and he deals with what they're doing. Our response to him is just what we're saying, not what we're doing. And so when we come into the prayer closet before the Lord God of heaven, we want to say how we're feeling to Jesus. We want to talk about what we need to talk about. We want to deal with our issues. But Jesus wants to know, what are you doing? How are you operating? How are you walking? Now watch, the next step, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now if I were to stand before you today, and suddenly my clothing was to disappear, I would be utter, I would be shamed. I would turn aside. I'd flee. Wouldn't you? But this is not nakedness of the body. 
This is nakedness of the soul. How would you feel right now if suddenly we had a large screen here and every inside thought of your mind was portrayed on that screen for all to see? And then every hidden motive was exposed. You said that and you did that because you wanted to achieve some good for yourself. You made it look like it was for your wife, but in fact, you were positioning so you could look good. I mean, what if all that were exposed up there on the screen? And and on the screen, it would show how you lust for things in the world, how you desire success or recognition or admiration. That's nakedness of the soul. And Jesus is saying, your souls are naked. In other words, when we're in this lukewarm place where we're not acting in accord with the will of God, we're just coasting along, then he says, you've got a naked soul. You're poor and don't know it. You're miserable and don't know it. I was at a pastor's prayer meeting. All the leaders of the churches in Woodbridge in attendance. My brother Kurt was there. We were praying and we began to confess our sin and the sin of God's people. And we were publicly rebuked by the leading pastor of this community. He said, my church is growing. Things are going well in my church. Well, I've visited his church many times. And I tell you, there is a total absence of the Holy Ghost in that place. There is no power there. It's an empty, cavernous black hole. Now, in that place, they don't need the Holy Spirit. Because they've got their programs. They've got their budgets and they've got their school. They've got all the activities going on. They've got their Super Bowl parties. They've got their Halloween parties. They've got their Easter egg hunts. They've got everything going. Now, I can only tell you today, we have not even yet begun to move into the depths of understanding how utterly broken and sinful we are before God. I mean, the worst things you could say against me, the worst things this dear caller is saying against me, they're all true and much worse in the flesh. But in the spirit, there is life. One of the marks of our age is a total lack of worry or concern about our sin. Utter casualness about our sin. We 
do something that violates the covenant of the Lord Jesus? And we say, oh, forgive me. Okay, you're forgiven. Go on down the pike. Everything's cool now. Well, nothing has changed. Our hearts aren't broken. We have no hatred of that sin, and we're going to do it again as soon as it's convenient because there's no loathing of that thing. There's no hatred of that thing. There's no turning aside from that thing. There's no recognition that it's poison and will kill us. And so, okay, I made a mistake. I'll try to learn from my mistakes. Next, you know, Jesus understands. He's got me covered. He's my buddy. You know, these lying things have been taught. They flow out of the church today like water. So where are you in your sin today? Are you still living your life with your drama? Are you willing to take radical steps of obedience to allow the Holy Spirit to inflame your heart with love for Jesus? See, some of you keep crying out and saying, Oh, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Well, the way he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit is to call you to walk in obedience to his commands. So Jesus is saying, you're blind and you're naked, you're wretched, you're pitiful, and you don't even know it. Well, the only reason you would be in that condition and not know it is if you are on on anesthesia. Or you've got Novocaine pumped in. And part of what we're crying out at the National Prayer Chapel for, we're crying out and asking the Lord if he would bring judgment unto repentance. Well, the reason we're asking the Lord to bring judgment unto repentance is because judgment will bring pain. And with pain comes awakening. And with awakening, we have the possibility of change. That when a person is awake and their condition is no longer hidden from their eyes, they then can look at the cross, they can look at Jesus and make a decision about whether they will follow that Jesus when the Jesus of our modern worldly church is cast down, we have then an opportunity to follow the true Jesus of the cross. And so recognize that as we cry out to the Lord and we ask for judgment under repentance, we're also asking that pain and suffering come into our lives. I mean, do you think we're not going to suffer also? Now, listen to the remedies that Jesus is giving to us for this condition. I counsel you. In other words, I'm now going to be the physician. I'm going to be a doctor for you, and I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. This is the antibiotic that will cure your lukewarmness. These are not feelings. These are action steps. 
I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Buy gold refined in the fire. Well, immediately you will know that this is not something that is going to be given to you. You're going to have to pay for it. There's not going to be a free handout of gold. You have to earn the gold. Now look with me in 1 Peter, the first chapter. We're going to look at several verses together. 1 Peter, the first chapter. I'm going to begin with a second sentence in verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. So there is a shielding of your life that comes by faith in Jesus Christ until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So in other words, we're saved, but we're not saved yet. There is a salvation that's going to come at the end of time when we are taken into the full kingdom of God. And at that point, that salvation will be complete. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials or testings. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So in other words, he's saying, buy from me gold. And this gold is literally faith. And how do you get the faith? You get the faith by going through the trials or the testings that Jesus Christ has brought to you. Now I have to tell you, some trials and tests I can go through and it's a breeze. But some trials and some tests that the Lord has allowed and has brought on my life also have included much weeping and complaining And it's not been a pretty picture. And there should be no expectation in the body of Christ that we're going to go through these trials without getting dirty. We're going to go through some of these trials and we're going to utterly fail. And at the point where we utterly fail, we can condemn ourselves and we can bankrupt our whole salvation or we can quickly pick ourselves up and go back to the table that is prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, and our cup will once more overflow until the next trial comes. So what we're being told here, we buy the gold by submitting to the testings of the Lord 
to work out in our lives the glorious salvation that he has reserved for us at the end of time. Now, we also gain that faith by stepping in and walking by faith. And some of you are having a great deal of difficulty doing that. For example, you are called to be here in the house of the Lord on Thursday night. I'm sorry, I can't be there because I have to work. What? You have to work. It's too hard to get here. It's too difficult. You'll find yourself lukewarm. It's when you're presented with these testings where you're able to step forward and say, Jesus, I'm going to do what you've called me to do and put myself in the place you've called me to be. And in that testing, in that stepping in, a flame of fire is lit in your heart. It's now costing you to step in obedience to what Jesus has called you to. Now, you understand, I'm using that as an example. The Lord may not have called you to be present on Thursday night. And if he didn't, don't be here. In other words, we don't have a list of rules. We don't go by a list of do's and don'ts set up in the flesh. Every man, every woman in this place is under the headship of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And you're to walk in obedience to what he directs you and the way he orders your steps. But you hear what I'm saying. If the decision is between what I need in my little world and my drama and being in the house of the Lord, then you're setting up a deal to be lukewarm. Yes, Lord. Because it's costing you nothing. Which is the norm. And that then can be multiplied into every area. If the Lord God of heaven is calling you to step forward financially and take an action, but you're saying, oh, I can't do that. I've got I've to reserve this. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. This is for my security. This is for my family. I've got to take care. Well, then know that what you have done is created a lukewarm situation. The only way a flame of fire is lit by faith is when you step into that faith with absolute trust and confidence in the Lord God of heaven and you are faithful to do what he's asked you to do. As long as you still imagine that you can maintain your little world and maintain your little drama and you can be comfortable in that circle, you will be lukewarm. So some of you are facing this terrible, frightening situation where God is calling you out of a job or he's calling you out of a house or he's calling you out of some other comfort place. Well, the Lord is doing that because he wants that testing to see what's in your heart, whether or not you will allow yourself to be set afire by the Holy Ghost. And as you step into that obedience in the Spirit of God, the flames of the Holy Spirit rise up in your heart. Now you recognize very quickly by what I'm saying to you is that this applies to every part of your world. It applies to how you spend your time, your money. You're sitting in your chair. You come home at the end of the day. And your preference 
is to go turn the internet on and spend an hour just kind of vegging out and surfing. That's your preference. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is calling you to take up your Bible and come into his presence. He wants some time with you. And you choose the internet option. You've just voted for a lukewarm heart. The fire of the Holy Spirit only comes as we step into that faith position and allow the Holy Spirit to order our steps in our job, with our family, the way we spend money, the way we dress, the way we talk. When someone yells at us, are we required by law to yell back at them? When someone insults us, are we required by law to insult them back? Well, many of you are playing that game in your job. Wherever you go, if the insult comes, Jesus is saying, now will you step into faith and allow me to deal with this situation and will you turn the other cheek? Now, I'm not suggesting to you that you should go to where that person is so they can punch you again. The direction of the Holy Spirit at those times is, look, just step away from them. This is the gold. These are the actions he's calling us to take that will result in a flame of fire being lit in our heart. And then he speaks about white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Well, the white clothes that we're required to wear, look in, in, uh, in Zechariah 3, 1 to 10 later today. And look in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Now, you'll recognize that the Matthew passage is the one that deals with the parable that Jesus is telling about the wedding banquet, where all of those who are invited to the wedding banquet refuse to come, and they persecute the one who was the messenger, and so the king sends his army and destroys them. That happened in A.D. 70 when Jesus sent the armies of Rome to totally burn the city of Rome. They had utterly rejected the grace of God. And so he, the king, sent the army and burned it. Then we find everyone else is invited, both the good and the bad. In other words, everybody's now invited to come to the banquet. And as people are invited to come to the banquet, they are to put on the wedding garments. But as the king comes through the wedding banquet, he finds one man who does not have the wedding garment on, and he is cast into outer darkness, and there's gnashing of teeth. Judgment has come. Well, Jesus is saying, if you continue to wear your own clothing, you will be cast into outer darkness. But if you put on the wedding garment that is provided for you, then you will enter into that banquet. It's composed of justification by faith, what God has done for us, and it's composed of sanctification by faith, what God has done in us. 
There is a unity between what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. And as that unity comes together, it is a seamless garment that we wear. So that I'm not trying to improve my life. It's not a self-improvement deal. I am submitting to what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And as I submit to that work he's doing in my life, the flames of love for the Lord Jesus Christ will be evident everywhere in my life. And so now I can walk into the banquet, to the table of the Lord, wearing a robe totally created by grace, by Jesus Christ. So the righteousness that is now exhibited in my behavior is not mine, but it's Jesus. He is now living through me. You recognize the modern church has lifted up as an idol what God does for me. And they say, go ahead and live in your sin. To me, that's not a gospel. I mean, why do I want to be saved for eternity and continue to live in hell now? I want heaven now. And heaven for me is dwelling in Jesus Christ. It is freedom from every bondage of bitterness. It's it's freedom to just simply walk in adoration and love and worship of my master and allow him to control everything in my home, everything in my family, everything in my job. The master has control. I trust him. I've given it to him. I no longer have any agendas of my own. I no longer have any desires that exhibit themselves in my actions. It is now totally Jesus. You see, when we're filled with that kind of love and devotion, we'll be dressed in the white garments, and our shameful nakedness will no longer be apparent. The garments of white that Jesus Christ has washed in his blood for you and me do not cover over known sins. Let me say that again. The garments of white washed in the blood of Jesus that cover us, do not cover known sin. It only covers confessed sin. It only covers that which the Holy Spirit has not yet convicted me of, that I am unconscious of. When I walk in open rebellion against Jesus, then I am casting aside his wedding garment, and I am saying, I'll walk into that banquet in my own nakedness. Thank you very much. Now, there's a third one. I counsel you in verse 18 to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That is faith, exercising faith, walking in trust, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear. That is justification and sanctification combined so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Always it is the oil of the Holy Spirit that gives me eyesight. I tell you today, I am like a little boy who's been out playing in the mud. And my daddy says, Raymond, come inside and get cleaned up. So we can go to town. 
And I call back to my daddy, oh, daddy, I've got a mud puddle right here. I'll wash in the mud puddle. That's how I am if I am left to cleaning up myself. The more I try to wash off the mud out of the mud puddle, the dirtier I become. The more stained my clothing become. I have to come inside where my father is. And there he'll wash me with pure water. He'll dress me in new clothing. My daddy will have me come and stand and look in the mirror and say, do you see the mud on your face? You missed a part. Have any of you been with your mama? And she said to you, let me clean that off your cheek. Now you understand, there's a desperate need for the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Not so we can heal the sick and raise the dead and be prosperous and be well-known. There is a need for us to have the Holy Spirit so that our hearts will be quickened. We will see our true condition before God. The salve will be applied to our eyes so that we will know how to apply the other remedies of white garments and gold. See, the great struggle we're having right now is that people can't see their true condition before God. And they're offended when we tell them because they can't see it. And so our cry before the throne of God is send your Holy Spirit to reveal our true heart's condition. Send the Holy Spirit to show Washington its true heart condition. And we cry aloud for this. Day and night, I am crying before the Lord, saying, Lord God, send your Holy Spirit to me. And he says, okay, do this. You know, I was taught that all you had to do to receive the Holy Spirit was to go to somebody who had the Holy Spirit, have them lay hands on you, and it was a finished deal. Well, they lied to me. First, they lied because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Their eyes were blind. They had a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was the money spirit. Or it was a deceived spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to come and reveal in my heart the things he wants me to do so the flame of fire will be ignited by his presence as I step into obedience to what he's called me to. So today, are there things that the Holy Spirit has asked you to do or to say that you have not done or said? Are you content to continue living out your life at a slow and dying pace without the flame of fire in your heart because you desire your own drama? But my grave concern is for those of you who came to this house today feeling pretty comfortable and happy with no urgency in your heart, no no fire in your heart, no, no quickness in your spirit. No interest in rising in the early hours to come before the Lord and read the word and pray. Do you want the fire of God in your heart? Then pray and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do?
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. When Jesus heard about Lazarus, he came to Bethany, found Lazarus four days in the grave. He told Mary and Martha, he's only asleep. Then Lazarus heard him say, about Calvary, how Jesus can wash your sins away. Satan tries to hold on and rock him back to sleep, but he hears the Holy Spirit softly say, Oh